0: Wonderful to be uh, here with you this morning. And we are starting a new uh, series this morning in the book of Philippians. And so I invite you uh, to go ahead and turn there with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to try and get myself uh, set up here as well while we do that. But Philippians uh, chapter 1. And we are just going to start with the first. Two verses. Let me read this uh, to us and then we'll pray as we get started. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as even uh, in these two verses, your name has already been magnified three times. May we also make much of your name now. May I decrease, may you increase. May we rejoice with our ancestors in the faith that we truly are saints. That is, that we are set apart and made holy in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, today is uh, the third week of the new year. Time to take stock and see how those Bible reading plans are going. I mean, no, uh, uh, there's no judgment here. Bible reading plans can be difficult at times, but they are helpful to, to stay focused and diligent in our reading through Scripture. Uh, But uh, they can be very difficult, especially when you get to those those long passages. You get to the second part of Exodus, you get into Leviticus, you start seeing all these these names and lists of names that you can't pronounce and regulations and all these these sorts of things. It's very tempting to skip over those sections. And uh, I'm tempted by that as well. But but we can't do that. Uh, We know that all scripture is God breathed all every word of our Bibles is inspired. And so it uh, it deserves our attention. But other than these these lists of names and and regulations in our Bibles, perhaps the the other most skipped over parts of our Bibles are these introductions and these greetings from Paul's letters. Uh, Just like the one I just read, it's it's easy for us to think that, uh, yeah, we get it. Paul, an apostle writing to so and so grace and peace. Let me just skip right past that. Let me get to the good stuff. And we can do that so often. But what do we miss when we, when we skip over that? We actually miss quite a lot. And in our day, when we're so consumed by, by media all around us, we're always scrolling, we're always clicking, we're always turning our attention to something new. It's very important for us, even more so, to have a very slow and purposeful reading of God's word. And that's our goal for this series in Philippians, a very close engagement with the sacred words of Holy Scripture. A very thorough and careful exposition through each and every verse of this letter to the Philippians. And so that's what we're going to start with today. That's what we're starting with, just these first two verses. And we're going to see that these are God's words for us. And they have a lot to say. But before we jump right into those verses, there's a few things that we can uh, talk about um, just at at the front of this series. And asking those kinds of questions. How did we get this letter? What, what, what purpose uh, does this letter have in our Bibles? And throughout the series, we'll have opportunities to talk about the historical uh, background of this letter, the purpose and the occasion for, for why Paul is writing this letter, what's going on in that time and in that place. We're not going to do all of that up front right now. But there are a few things that would be helpful just to discuss and point out as we get started. And the first thing that we know is that Paul is writing this letter from, uh, from arrest in Rome. Sometime around the year 60 to 62 AD, somewhere in there. He's either riding from a jail cell or, or from his own house arrest. He would he'd be transferred back and forth between the two. But regardless of where he is, he's, he's under the careful watch of uh, Emperor Nero's own imperial guard there in Rome. And while he's under arrest, he receives a visitor, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, Paphroditus is a member of the Philippian church and he brought greetings from his home church along with a gift to Paul to encourage him. And he brought news with him about his church, but it wasn't all good news. There were troubles from both outside the church and within. There was hostility towards the Christian faith. And this was very true in uh, this Roman colony of Philippi. This Roman colony where syncretism and the imperial, imperial cult was the religion of the people there. And so there was always a present danger toward and a hostility toward the church. And this, this was even magnified by the fact that Paul was a prisoner of Rome. He was an enemy of the state. And so the people, when they would interact with members of this church in Philippi, they would rightly come up to them and say, you're the, the, the person who planted you, your leader in all this, he's a prisoner in Rome. Why would we take you seriously? you're probably an enemy of Rome as well. It was a shameful reality in the eyes of, of the outsiders. And in response to this very real concern, we'll see that Paul writes to them and he, he'll tell them, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. His imprisonment is not a reason for shame or for scorn because it's in fact God using that to advance the gospel even among the imperial guard. And there was those troubles brewing within the church, as we mentioned. Epaphroditus uh, came and told Paul about a growing dispute between two women in the church uh, that Paul would, would have known well, Yodia uh, and Syntyche. They're disagreeing, and Paul will write to them and encourage them to put aside their differences and to agree in the Lord. And we'll see a lot of that theme of agreeing and unity. And finally, we see that Paul also wrote this letter after receiving Epaphroditus himself who had taken and become gravely ill on his journey, even close to the point of death. And his return to Philippi was delayed, and so news reached the church that he was sick, and they were wondering about him. And so Paul would write this letter, and he sent it with Epaphroditus back to them himself, this letter to the Philippians, to commend their brother Epaphroditus and his service to God. And as Paul will will call him in verse uh, chapter 225, My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier... That's who Epaphroditus Epaphroditus is, and they should receive him in the Lord with joy, Paul says, and honor him. And in fact, not only should they receive and follow Epaphroditus' example, but they should also follow the example of Timothy, who Paul also hopes to send to them very soon. And they should follow Paul's example himself as he hopes to go and visit uh, the Philippian church again very soon. They should follow the examples of these three men because each of them have given their lives for the service of the gospel and for the service of Christ. And so our question then this morning is what drove these men to do this? What, what was the goal that was set before them that propelled them? What, what got them out of bed in the morning? What, what drove Paul uh, and the thing that kept him so optimistic and joyful, even as his feet were shackled in a Roman prison? What kept him so focused in his mission and in his ministry? And we see the answer to that in these first two verses. Right away in this introduction, in this greeting, we see the gospel of Christ Jesus. Already in these two verses, Christ is mentioned three times. It's, it's as if Paul can't help himself, but make much of the great name of Christ Jesus. Christ alone is the focal point of the letter. He is the focal point through and through. He's the heart of the letter. He's the very center of the letter. And there are many themes that we will look at in this series, but all of them find their source in that one great theme. Christ Jesus himself, the gospel of Jesus. That's what we must see, first of all, from this this glorious gospel of Christ. Everything else flows from that. And so this morning, as we begin our study of this letter we're going to consider three of those themes that flow from this life-changing gospel of Christ. And these three themes that we'll look at are the necessity and the unity and the humility of the gospel of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Even in these first two verses, we see Paul anticipating, highlighting these three realities of the gospel. These three themes that we'll see throughout the letter. And so that's what we're going to look at now. And so the first great theme is the necessity of the gospel. That is living worthy of the gospel and submission to Christ. You might have noticed in, uh, on, on our website or in the emails or where we've been uh, publicizing this series that we've given this series a subtitle. And it says Philippians living worthy of the gospel. Now, where did we get that? Did we just make it up? We got that from from Paul himself. We we picked that theme because that is Paul's main thesis, his main proposition statement of the entire letter. All right, so students, I'm going to give you a chance at redemption here. Uh, You didn't remember the theme of creation, but here you go. Many of us have had to write papers over the years, all right? For school or for whatever. And so, uh, uh, I'm going to ask you, how do you write that letter? What's the form that that, that, not a letter, a paper. You probably don't write letters that much. A paper, a school paper. What's the form of that paper that you have to write? You have to start with an introduction, right? There's supposed to be some kind of hook that pulls people in, grabs their attention. But at some point, you have to state what? You have to give a, a thesis statement. You have to give a main proposition. This is what the paper is all about. This is is what I'll be arguing for. The same is true for preaching. Every every sermon ought to have a main idea or a main proposition. Many times we'll take that main idea, we'll make it the title of the sermon or something close to it. The main idea of this sermon uh, is something like, because the gospel of Jesus is true, it is necessary to live worthy of it. With humility and unity towards others. You can see those three points in that main idea then. Of necessity and humility and unity. Those points make up the body of the sermon. And, and they, they serve to prove that that main idea is true. And so just like the school paper. Just like the sermon. We can understand Paul's letters in the same way. And as we read through. And as we'll see this in, in this letter to the Philippians. Paul will give a greeting. He'll give an introduction. But then he'll get to the main idea, his main thesis, and that's in verses 27 through 30. Those those verses are actually one long sentence, and that states exactly what Paul's desire is for the Philippians. And what what does that verse say? It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That above everything else. Is Paul's thesis statement, that's his main idea, his main proposition of the letter. If there was one passage of Philippians to commit to memory, it'd be this passage right here, these verses. That is what Paul wanted for his church that he cared so much for, and that's what the Spirit would have for us as well. Why must we live worthy of the gospel? It's because the gospel is true. Christ is dead, Christ is, is risen, Christ is reigning. Therefore, we must live worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's a non-optional thing. We must live worthy of his gospel. But we are not at verse 27 yet. We're, we're still only in verse 1. So look and see how Paul is He's already anticipating this main idea. Already in verse 1. He's already highlighting and anticipating the necessity of living worthy of the gospel. How does he do that? Well, he opens his letter by writing Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Now much can be said about this word in our context today. It's hard for us to hear that word without thinking of the horrific evil of the slave trade. And we cannot make a a one-to-one comparison between chattel slavery and the slavery uh, and servitude that was common in that first century. That Paul would be, uh, uh, that he would know. And neither do I want to diminish the sinfulness or, or the evil of the slave trade. At the same time, I do not want us to miss the import of Paul's word and his words here, his description. This word is sometimes translated in our Bibles as servant like it is here In our ESV translation, sometimes it's translated as as bond servant. But but even that is still too weak of of a descriptor. Rather, what Paul is saying is that he is a slave to Christ. That is that Christ has a claim over his life, that everything Paul does is in service to him. And this is true of of every Christian. Uh, a PCA pastor, uh, Dennis Johnson, he, he puts it very pointedly. And he says simply, those whom Jesus saves, he enslaves. And we bristle at that at first, do we not? But uh, it's, a, it's a harsh statement at first. But what we must understand is that there is no true autonomy. Autonomy. That we are not the masters of our own fate, but we will serve one master or another. Is that not the teaching of our own Lord himself? Whether it be pride or sin or or money or the lust of our flesh, we will serve something and be enslaved to something. And this is what Paul says in an earlier letter that he would have written. uh, It's a letter to the Romans. He says that we were enslaved to sin in chapter six. We were enslaved to sin, but Christ has set us free, and because of that, Paul writes, "But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God." Christ does not remove the yoke of sin off our backs and then leave us, leaves us to wander as, as free and autonomous, uh, yokeless, as it were. But rather, he places his yoke. Upon our shoulders. We are now his. He's purchased us with his precious blood. But the good news of this. Is that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Uh, Pastor Johnson he continues. He says that we have to face the fact. That every master other than Jesus. Will exploit and disappoint you. In the end. But Jesus will never disappoint that's not the kind of master that he is, but he says, come unto me, everyone who is weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, that is the gospel. The gospel is Christ Jesus himself and all his benefits which flow from him. And because the gospel is true, we must submit ourselves completely to Christ. For Paul, this meant abandoning his, pre- uh, his previous life as a persecutor of the church. And now he served as a, as a missionary to plant more churches. Uh, for Timothy, this meant accompanying Paul, following along with him, leaving behind his mother and his grandmother and, and seeking to serve Paul and his, his ministry and to grow himself as a young man in the faith. For Epaphroditus, this meant risking his own life and his own well-being and becoming sick even to the point of death for the service of the church, to bring news and to bring this financial support to Paul for his mission. And so what's true in each of these different examples? We see that these men were serving Christ and his interests and not their own. And may I be honest with you for a moment about this struggle in in this day and age we have of, We have NIL deals for college students. We have everything is about making your own brands. All the social media, all those things. That's a real temptation for the pastor. That this is somehow for the purpose of advancing my own career. Or making my own name into something. It's a real temptation. And it's why our prayers are so important. Your prayers for me are so important. Our plurality of elders where we have accountability is so important. Uh, Pastor David Strain is very helpful on this point, and he, he writes, commenting, uh, commentating on this verse, he says, anyone seeking to build a reputation for himself by means of gospel ministry fails the most basic test of pastoral authenticity. We must be ready. Uh, we must be ready slaves to the word and will of Christ alone, wholly surrendered to his design and purpose. The gospel can never be a tool for me, for any pastor, anyone, to make much of themselves. And this is so countercultural for us today, and it was it was just as much so uh, back then as well. Especially for the residents in in that city in Philippi, who were so proud of their of their Roman status as a Roman colony and as as Roman citizens. They were constantly seeking to make, to make more of themselves, to grow in status, to grow uh, in, in uh, recognition in the city. And this was part of their city's own heritage. The city of Philippi was, was founded by Philip II of Macedon, Alexander the Great's father. And as he helped defend this city as a reward to himself, he named the city after himself. The pastor and the the theologian, the Christian, uh, all of us, we are not out to uh, to serve and to make a name for ourselves. But we must seek to serve and make much of the name of Christ. Paul and Timothy understood their status. They they sought to make much of the name of Jesus, and therefore they introduced themselves in this letter as slaves to Christ Jesus, the Lord. Since the gospel is true, the, the necessity is that we must live worthy of it. That's the first thing we see. And this living worthy of the gospel means living in full submission to Christ. He not only is, is savior, but because he is savior, he is also Lord of our lives. you have been bought with a, uh, with a price, Paul will say. A price was Jesus' own, own blood. Does the potter have no right over the clay? Does Jesus have no, no right or authority over our lives? He certainly does in every way. But what is more, what we see is that there is no better master to serve. That like Christ himself is, has given us this example of, of one who is gentle and lowly in heart. And that leads us right into the second grand theme that we'll see in this letter, that we see right away in these first two verses. And that is the humility of the gospel. The humility uh, that the gospel requires. Because the gospel is true, humility must be the guiding principle In the Christian's life. Paul writes to them in chapter 2 verse 3. And he says. Do nothing. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant. Than yourselves. That is the Christian life. That is our calling. If we understand that we are only slaves to Christ. That we have been bought with that that price. Then humility must. And humility does naturally follow. After. After. That is what living worthy of the gospel of Christ looks like. It looks like humility. And Paul backs up this thesis statement. Like any good letter, like any good paper or sermon, he has several arguments and several examples. He'll give them the example of Timothy as an example of one who even as a young man, we see in Acts 16, he was willing to leave his family behind to serve Paul. And he would, come, he would go with Paul when they originally planted that church in Philippi. The Philippians knew Timothy and Paul wrote uh, about him to them. He was commending him to the church. He would say that there are some who seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But he says, you know, Timothy's proven worth. As a son with his father, so Timothy has been like that with Paul in his service in the ministry. We'll see that Paul is, is not too proud of himself either. He's willing to list Timothy right up front in that letter. Paul and Timothy. Co-equal. There's no hierarchy here. They're both slaves, servants of Christ and his will. He'll put Epaphroditus forward as another example of, of obedient humility. Each of these examples, though, they all point to the supreme example as found in Christ, at the very heart of the letter, at the very center of this letter, in chapter two, uh, verses six through eleven, this is this is the supreme example. Why must the Philippians live worthy of the gospel in all humi- humility, like Paul, like Epaphroditus, like Timothy? Why must they do this? Is because of Christ. One of the most beautiful passages in, in all of Scripture that that Christ him is it sometimes sometimes referred to, sometimes called. We must humble ourselves. We must. Have this mind that was of Christ Jesus, who himself humbled himself, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. The eternal son of God who took on flesh. That he might save his people from their sins. This is what we are called to do. And when we put on humility, as Christ did. What we find is that it is an easy burden to bear. I love this, this uh, quote from, from Gavin Ortland in a recent uh, book on humility. And he's, he's contemplating these things, and he writes that we think humility is an impossible burden. But in reality, it is as light as a feather. He says it is pride that makes life gray and drab, humility brings out the color. I love that. Humility is, is a freeing thing. We're set free from pride. We're set free from, from worrying about how we're being perceived and, and making a name for ourselves. We're set free from all of those things. And we can serve Christ and him alone. In a Roman colony where, where everyone is preoccupied with, with rising up the ranks of society, the Philippians were giving, given a different role model. Christ was to be the center of their lives. They were to follow in his footsteps, the footsteps of their master down the road of self-denial. And when this is done, when they pursued humility in this way, living out the necessity of the gospel, we see this third grand theme making itself known in their lives. This third grand theme that we already see here in these first two verses in this greeting. The third theme, that the unity Of the gospel. The unity the gospel brings. This is a unity that's born through humility. And so Paul tells them that they must be of one mind. Which is the mind of Christ. He'll go on to say all that. This humility that brings about unity. But we see this already. We see this unity right away in this greeting. We see Paul right in this greeting. He says Paul and Timothy. Timothy. And he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. And he writes to them with the overseers and deacons. We see all are unified because of Christ Jesus, the Lord, who is the one who has given us grace and made us at peace with God, whom we are now able and can now call father. Paul and Timothy, all the saints at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. All this is made possible because of the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've already been going long. We'll have to end with this as we're as we're running out of time. We've we've seen the necessity. To live worthy of the gospel, which looks like radical submission to Christ, that, that we belong to him. We've seen also, because we belong to him, we must follow his example. You know, the disciple is not greater than his master. We must follow Christ's example of humility. And when we do that, what we'll see is unity within the church. There is a unity that comes through humility. Humility. Paul says, nothing must be done from a place of selfishness, but rather humility must guide our thoughts and our actions as we consider others of much more significance than ourselves. And this will lead us to become of of one mind, of one body, and of unified. These these grand themes, they, they show up right here in Paul's greeting. And he ends this greeting, this is where we'll we'll end our sermon this morning. He ends this greeting with grace and peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much that we can say about just those two words. There's so much packed into scripture. Much more that we can say here. But again, now this is the third time, the third mention of Christ Jesus already in these first two verses. We're reminded and we're, uh, we're told that everything we have, everything we've just discussed, is a result of his grace. The grace of God which, which brings about peace, Romans 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. And so may it be said of us, Christ the King, may it be said of us that we are a church committed to Christ Jesus. May the name of our church also be the main theme of our lives. That Christ is king. That he is our king. That we may seek to live our lives worthy of the gospel. In all humility. And in unity in all things. And as we continue now and as we study this great book of Philippians. May our study of this book spark us to that joyful obedience and following Christ's example. Let's pray to that end. Jesus, what a wonderful message of grace and peace. What wonderful good news of the gospel that you save sinners. And now that you have set us free from our sin, may we follow you. May, may our lives be worthy of that amazing gospel. May we seek humility and unity in all things. May you fill us with joy in your spirit as we pursue after these holy ends. And may we do it all in your holy name. Amen.